You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. From the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 4, through chapter 7, verse 16, you can follow along with me and your Bibles are on the screens. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away, goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I wound, heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria... For they deal falsely, the thief breaks in, and the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them, they are before my face. By their evil they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers, they are like a heated oven, whose baker ceases to stir the fire, from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine, he stretched out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven, they approach their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. For grain and wine they gash themselves, they rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt." Awesome. You all can be seated, and the children can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for spending your morning with us. I want you to think for a minute. Um, imagine a farmer. A primitive farmer, no machines or anything like that, scattering some seed. And that might seem like a boring uh, picture, but then think about it like you're 
you're looking through like a National Geographic photographer, right? And so maybe you're low and you see some seeds kind of scatter over and one of those seeds catches your eye and it lands near you. It comes into focus, it settles, the wind kind of moves and leaves, rustle around, some light dirt kind of moves over top of it, it covers the seed and you are hopeful. You and the farmer are hopeful, right? Days go by, some rain falls, certainly there's some time-lapse photography in your imagination here. Eventually you see a sprout, like a little bit of life, and you're excited about that, as is the farmer, I'm sure. And, uh, and unlike the seed in the plowed rows, and, and unlike the seed that the birds ate, this seed that you had your eye on, it's on a bed of, of hardened clay just under the dirt. It grows green, small but sure. Days pass, the sun hits hard. The sprout wilts, it shrivels, and the plant dies never to be or, and, and never to bear fruit. This is how Jesus describes one of, of several hearts that receive the word of God. It, you know, he talks in parables and he, he makes illustrative connections to the people and, and he says that the seed is like the word of God and it's scattered out. It falls on all different types of hearts and, and it sprouts, but it has th this particular seed that caught our eye. It sprouts, but it has no root. It can't sustain. It's alive, but its life is fleeting and its fruit, it just never shows up. Its fruit never comes to bear. Jesus he paints a, a picture of his people, of, of observations, of interactions between God and his people from the very beginning, from the very beginning, right? From, from the beginning of all time and humanity, all the way up until now in this room. All these truths and these observations between God and his people, they, they shape for us patterns, patterns that show up in the way that we love the Lord, in the way that, that we have love for God, followed by our abandonment of Him. Fleeting love for God brings ruin, but rooted love gives and it grows. This is the big idea that we're looking at. Fleeting love for God brings 700 plus years prior to Jesus saying those words to His disciples. There's this guy named Hosea, and, and God invites him to call attention to, uh, to, to the same problem that Jesus does, and the same pattern for his day, the same pattern that shows up in the lives of God's people, Israel, or, or we see them called Ephraim, which is one of the tribes of Israel. We see them called Judah, which is the southern kingdom. But all that just means it's all of this stuff is for, for God's people. And, and in this series, we are, I don't know, halfway through, probably something like that, uh, we, we're calling it, Hosea, divine pursuit because what we see time and time and time again is we continue to see God pursue his people in spite of their faithlessness. We see him pursue them and, and be for them and they reject him and so God judges them. He gives them what they bring upon themselves and, and God questions his senseless people in this passage. He indicts them with, with evidence and he continues to lay out the terms of judgment that they bring upon themselves. And so we begin in, in chapter six, verse four, and we'll be skimming a lot today or whatever because it's such a large passage. But, but we see God through, through Hosea ask this question. He says, that is very relatable. Like, what am I going to do with you? What do you expect me to do? I, I, I ask you to do these things. I, right, fill in the blank. 
clean the room, take out the trash, pick up your, all the things. Like, and time and time again, you don't do it. Like, what do you want from me? I have no other option. I invite you into the, this more serious than taking out the trash and doing chores. I invite you into a way with me. I invite you into a relationship with me. And time and time again, you fail. You do your own thing. You go your own way. You committed to be with me. We were in this together. And here you are. What do you want me to do? And he says, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. It's a mist. The first thing that we see in this passage is that this is a short-lived love. It's a short-lived love. When I was in college, I, wa I went to school to uh, teach. What, what did you go to school to teach? Students. What did you go to teach them? Science and history, right? And, and so I was in a chemistry class, and uh, I made a light bulb. I was pretty proud of it. It was pretty cool. Uh, details aside and probably other boring stuff in there. And some of you are like, tell me more. I don't remember what I made it out of. I just remember this. I remember I showed it to my professor, and I think we had to present it in like a group setting or present to the class or whatever. And what I do remember is it, it glowed. It lit up. And I was like, yes, I made a light bulb. It even glue like uh, it glowed brightly for a few seconds before burning out never to penetrate darkness Again, if you've ever lit like a magnesium strip, this, it wasn't made of magnesium, but it, it glows very bright for like no time and then it goes away and then it can't glow anymore. That was, my, that was my light bulb. It didn't have the gases necessary inside of it. It didn't have the proper materials, but, but I, did make, I did make a light bulb. It just wasn't very impressive, right? It was here, then it was gone. The Old Testament prophets are are often kind of compiled writings and sermons of a prophet's ministry, and it might last, it might, it might be decades in the cases of some of the prophets. So it's not, when we read the Old Testament prophets, we're not reading like we're reading the Gospels or like, even like we're reading uh, Exodus or something like that. That's like a narrative, it's a story, it's, it's you turn the page and the next thing happens. But in the prophets, it's, it's like a long bit of compiled sermons basically is, is what they are. So we, we don't know kind of where this shows up, but, but whether time has passed or this has just been the nature from Jump Street, we, we don't know. But it seems as though God's people have turned towards the Lord. Like at some point they turn to him, but their love has disappeared like, like a candle in the wind, like, like my light bulb in, in chemistry class. Their heart flickered with warmth. It flickered with love to God, but that love has retreated once again. This shows up several ways in the lives of God's people, and I'll give you two of them. The first one is, is like a storyline arc, like the biggest picture of your life, right? You once walked with the Lord. You, you may have followed Jesus, and, and he now finds your heart cold towards him. You, you're hearing this. It's a miracle if you're in this room and you're away from him. He will finish the good work, which he has begun. But as for you today, you, you get to look inside and assess your walk with God. And you get to say, is this 
me? Was I, was I like a, a, a light bulb burning bright for a moment, but then I've just kind of fallen into ruts that don't look anything like a relationship with God himself? Years ago, I worked with a guy, it wasn't here. Um, he, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And I was young, I was like 21, 22. Worked midnight, so we didn't do a lot, right? Anybody work midnights? Hey. Uh, and so you, uh, there were times when you like worked, but then you had a lot of downtime, right? Patrick Bustle? Yes, I know. Patrick's like, yes, I know about downtime at work. This is good. So scratch that from the record. We don't want anybody fired. Um, anyway, and so, so we had a lot of time to talk, and, and he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And then in one literally weekend, he came in, and he was like, he was like lit up with enthusiasm for the gospel. He's like going to church every moment that you could go. And, I was, and, and so we had like, I don't know, weeks, months of conversations and the dynamic of those conversations changed literally instantly. Like now we're, we were talking about other stuff and now we're talking about the things of the kingdom and we're talking about the Bible. We're opening the Bible together. And I, I'm just like, wow, this is so cool. He came like with me to church a few times. He was connected to another church and, and whatever. And so it was, it was like great and then one weekend, we were off, we came back in on Monday, and he, he ignored every bit of any of those months. It was like that never happened. And I remember in the moment being like confused, I'm confused like theologically, like what is happening here? I'm confused about my friend, and, and literally, we, we never talked of the things of God again to this day. Like it, it was that, like, that cut off. <clears throat> I don't know what happened to him in that weekend. I, I think he got like legitimately into some trouble, like he got a, a DUI or something like that. And whatever it was, it, it changed him and put him off towards the things of God. Your story might not look like that, but you can see the ark and you can see how it was a, a, a bright light, but for a moment. And, and maybe your heart was once warm for the Lord, but, but now it isn't. Your, your love for God is here in a moment. And you, you, you look around and you blink and, and it's gone. It's gone with the noonday sun. There's hope for you in that today. There's hope for you that that doesn't have to be your story. Right? The other type of, of kind of flare up and, and settle back down is maybe more the majority that your, your days or your weeks look a little different. On Sunday, maybe your heart flames with love and you sit under the word and you respond and you sing and, and like the band just did so well this morning and you can just get caught up in all of that and, and you hear prayers and you receive hugs from people and there's just so much excitement and, and joy real or otherwise, in the room, and your heart grows, and, and it swells, and you, you commit to follow Jesus, and you repent, and you believe, and, and you take communion joyfully, but by Tuesday, your heart is, you know, the, the ice princess, and it looks quite different, frozen and, and far from the Lord, and, and you don't stoke the flame, you don't put rhythms in place to remind your wayward heart of truth, and you, you don't talk to God, and, and, it, and if not for the songs saying and the hugs and the prayers and sitting under the word week after week, that, that flickering flame would burn out altogether. 
And to be clear, that is, that is why God in his word is so clear about gathering together with the church. Because we're all prone to that. And we all need this. And it's why, you know, like COVID year and 2020 was like disorienting for so many churches and so many people. And there were many people a part of this family that, that we just never saw again, despite our best efforts. This is why, because you have to be fanned and you, and you get to come together as the, be encouraged by, by prayers and hugs and all those things. But what, what we're, the, the flip of that is, is that what we see is if your life is merely about those things, your life in Christ, it won't last. We can't forsake him. All of those things point to, to the fact that it cannot be just about going through the motions, the patterns of, of our walk with Jesus. In fact, in verse 6, this is what it says. But I, God, desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. I, the Lord, desire the knowledge of God. And again, knowledge being a word that, that is certainly having to do with our brain, but also our heart. It's also to know him, that we interact with him together. Uh, I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And you might be like, wow, what a relief. Because I haven't sacrificed anything or given burnt offerings in quite a while. But, but what's the point? What does that mean for us? Well, sacrifice and burnt offerings were, were what happened at the temple. This was regular stuff where they would come to the house of the Lord and they would do these things. That is to say, don't go through the motions of love. Don't go through the motions, but be devoted to me in heart over the long haul. Know me and, and live life with me. And that, that is an invitation for, for them, for those who receive this from Hosanna. It's an invitation for us to follow Jesus. And the understanding is that it is relational. It's relational. It's not about doing all the things and, sh and showing up like we get to do that because it, it does stoke the, the flame of our heart. But, but our invitation is to follow Jesus it's not just to have all the rules and all the things sorted out in our brains. It's, it's all the actions associated with worship apart from a heart that loves the Lord. That's what he's saying. And I, I, what he's saying is, I'm not about that. It's all the things without love. And we know what Jesus would say later on. He says, doing the things of God without a heart for God is like, it's just annoying. Kim and I have the pleasure of sitting in gyms a lot and Ireland plays volleyball and Titus plays basketball and I know many of you are in those contexts and, and some gyms are fine when like the countdown buzzer goes off and volleyball they just buzz that thing like every 20 seconds for whatever reason and and there are some gyms that we go into where like I'm pretty sure that whoever's in charge of the volume and the duration of the buzzer, they're just getting back at like an X that just showed up that day because it is, they just hold the thing and you're like, okay, like five seconds. We understand that we're supposed to switch sides or do whatever. And you're like, okay, seven seconds. Okay, 10 seconds is just too long. It's just annoying. Like we know, we get it. It's like, Gosh, like, I just want that to go away. That's what we are when we do the things that look like we have a relationship with Jesus, but our hearts aren't in it. We're just annoying, frustrating. Please make it stop. 
when you tell your coworker how to live their life, but your heart is far from the Lord, please just make it stop. Men, you get the family together. Sunday, it's what we do. We're going here and we're yelling on the way here and we're yelling on the way home and your life midweek looks totally different and, and you're far from the Lord, but, but today's the day. Like button up that top button and let's give it a go. Man, I, I'm glad that you do that. Women, the same thing. Whatever that looks like, whatever your family dynamic is, man, I'm not like poo-pooing that. But if that's it, it won't, it, it won't sustain you. It won't last. That's not what the Lord would, is inviting us into. Eugene Peterson, he summarizes this kind of passage of love. Lasts no longer than morning mist and pre-dawn do. That's why I use prophets to shake you to attention. Why my words cut you to the quick. To wake you up to my judgment blazing like light. I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. Are prayer meetings bad? No. Is the context of religion, whatever that looks like, is that bad? No. But when those things are happening apart from our love for the Lord, that's no good. And then he goes on, he says, you broke the covenant just like Adam. You broke faith with me, you ungrateful wretches. Short-lived love, it deals with the heart's duration to love the Lord, that we are drawn to these fickle patterns and, until we're not. Our frailty of, of time investment. And the second point, it points to kind of the intensity of that love and what it looks like and where that kind of fickleness or faithlessness comes from. The second thing is, this is a long-established pattern. The nature of this heart has a long paper trail of its passionless lack of devotion to God. D despite his faithful devotion to his people, to you to me and to all who are his, his people are drawn towards drifting. This guy, Hosea, he's a master of illustrations. And I know, like, you, you read the focal passage and, like, I, I know I shared this a bit, but that's overwhelming to me. I, I don't know what's in that. I, I, I don't want you to think that, the, that everyone in this room hears that focal passage and, and you're just sitting there like, that doesn't mean anything to me. But everyone else seems like, like it's, it's a lot. It's a culture that doesn't look like ours, but it is God's word set apart, not to us, but for us, even on a day like today. So my job is to kind of do the work. And as I kind of doing the work, I, I see that this guy's a master of illustrations. Th these are just a few from just this focal passage this morning, he says, you're like a morning mist, a, a love that's here, then it's gone, right? And it points to the, the failure to love God after daybreak. He says, you're like an overheated, unattended oven. He says, you're, you're out of control. There are assassination attempts on 
princes and kings and just a pattern of bloodshed. You're out of control. You're like an unattended oven. It goes on. Scott preached like a month ago, and he got to preach the, the raisin cakes passage. And then he was saying stuff like, uh, man, some say this is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. And I'm like, man, what am I stuck with, right? <laughs> like, what is this? Like, how, like how, how did this happen, right? Um, but, but there's like some redemption here because we see like you're like a half-baked bread loaf. Like, use that one on the playground. <laughs> what he's saying is you're burnt on one side, you're not flipped, you're raw on the other at the very same time. You are not completely pagan and you are not holy. Like some people like burnt dough, bread, toast, and, and others like raw, but no one likes both. And he's saying that, that's what you are. Like you're just half-hearted. You're just not in it. You're like a deluded, delusioned old man. You, you fail to see your own frailty coming upon you, and there's stuff happening around you, and you can't see it. He says you're like a senseless bird caught in a net. You fail to be free. You fail to settle. You, you just flutter everywhere. You flutter from Egypt to Assyria, and you will get caught in my net. Dude, I got a couple bird stories. Do you want to hear a couple of them? I need to cap our chimney. We've gotten a few birds in, in our house. Um, I'll start with that, but don't make a note of that. I really need to do that. So like we'll hear them in the fireplace and like, that sounds like a bird. Um, and then you like wake up and you open the door and you're just like, you know, uh, a bird. Not many of them, but a bird. The first time that happened, I was somewhere. Kim called Justin Carter. Justin, can you come and get this bird? He had a lot of experience with birds as well, and so he, you know, uses a trash can and like a record and just like that. But the thing about the bird is once you hear it, it doesn't stop. It might perch like on a curtain rod for a minute, but other than that, it's just, it's just hitting stuff, and it's like, there is a bird in my house. That's what you're thinking. I, have, I don't see the kids during that time. I don't see Kim during that time. It's just everywhere. And he's saying like, as frantic as that is, that's you. But but the better bird story. There was a bird in the house that we used to live in. We had a mail slot, and I don't know how it happened, but the bird went into the mail slot. So it was like in between our walls, and you open up, you get the mail out. But there's a bird in there, and it's clearly something in there that shouldn't, it's not mail. And so the kids were little, and it was like, oh, got a trash bag, put it around it, and we opened the thing, and the bird fl flies into the trash bag. And so, like, okay, we have it, and there's, like, some mail in there, too, and put it on the porch. We open up the trash bag, and this is not a joke. This happened. The bird was clearly a little, like, dizzy. The bird flies out of the trash bag straight into my car window, falls dead right there. <laughs> and we're just like, well... Like, our, our days are numbered. That bird was going to die today. <laughs> That's what we are like. <laughs> That's the point. That's what he's saying. You're a senseless bird. You go from Egypt to Assyria, but your end is the way of death. You're not where you're supposed to be. It's not about us. So you're caught in my net. 
of judgment. He goes on, you're like a self-preoccupied uh, self or self-oriented person of prayer. You, you fail to depend upon the Lord. You, you pray self-loathing prayers to God-ish or whatever, and they're all about you. You're, you're spiritual, but you're not devoted to God. And then the last thing in, in chapter 7, he says, you're like a failing bow. And he says, man, I trained you. I trained your muscles. I, I gave you the tools that you need. And you know what you're doing now? You're turning them against me. You're coming at me with the training that I gave you. And he said, your, your bow is going to fail. It's going to break. You have no hope to come against me. All these things, all these illustrations, they point to the nature of, of humanity against the contrast of God. What, what is the nature of the, the growing cold and the way we're living? It's, it's all of these analogies. It's all of these things. And, and I want to give a, a bit of summary to kind of read through this passage, starting in, in 6, uh, 7, all the way through uh, the end of 7. He says, but, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. To transgress is like to, to go against or, or to, uh, to break the vow of the covenant. You broke our vows is what he's saying. Just like Adam. There they dealt falsely with me. They, they became evildoers and robbers and murderers. And they were filled with, what a great word, villainy. They were filled with villainy. That's, that's all of the people. It was a horrible thing. They, they demonstrated unfaithfulness to the vows. He said, I would heal but they live like bandits. They're, they're away from me. They won't come to me. They don't consider that I remember all of their evil. It's, it's before my face. All their evil is. They devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen and none call upon me. They're unaware that they mix with the world around them. They're unaware that uh, their end draws near. You're a silly dove caught in my net of judgment. Destruction and ruin is your way because of the judgment, and you use that training against me. They return, but not to me. They will fall by the sword, and they will be a laughing stock in Egypt. That's kind of a summary of the chapter. All stuff that is just not good. But, but look at how far back Hosea points as the pattern of this lifestyle. It's not like, man, this generation, you're really rough. And, and we don't look at that today and say, oh, man, that, whew, they were really bad. Villainy. They were terrible. But I'm glad we have it figured out. No. He points all the way back. And he says, but like Adam, like Adam, they, they went against the covenant. God's people have been walking back their commitment to him since the first human that ever lived. This is nothing new. For those who don't know this, the third chapter of the Bible is really significant. And if you've ever tried to say, God is good and this world is just messed up, and you can't like get a picture, then Genesis chapter 3 helps us, and it points back to this guy named Adam, Adam and, and Eve. Adam's sin is significant because he, it, it breaks and it brings the fall upon all humanity. 
And so we use the word the fall like regularly, but if you don't know what that means is, it's not like the season that we're in right now, the best of all the seasons. It's not that. It's, it's Adam brought the brokenness of all humanity and all of creation through his sin, through his rebellion against God. And it looked different, like he ate something that God said don't, but really what it came down to was he didn't trust God. He didn't trust him as provider and, and he went another way along with our sins. And we are depraved in our being. Every part of creation is, is marred and smeared and stained by the rebellion of Adam. Adam's blood runs through our veins and our emotions and our thoughts and our actions and our relationships and our perception and our worship and our gifts. All of those things, they're not as bad as they could be. But all of them are, are bent away from the Lord. We read about it in Romans chapter 5. And again, I'm, I'm going to read a, a large chunk of this in a few minutes. Spend some time in Romans chapter 5 this week. Um, this is what it says. It says, therefore just, so, so Romans is in the New Testament. It says after Jesus and Paul is, is he's contrasting Adam and Jesus. He says this, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, who is that one man? Adam. Sin came in the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. And specifically that means there was no law. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no uh, Jesus telling how to live. None of that had existed and yet death was there. And so for, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses who gave the law. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Even those who sinned in different ways. Even those that Hosea is pointing to. Who's, uh, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. All of the wayward tendencies, all of the human failings, all of the fleeting love, all of the, the shallow faith, all of it has been a pattern on repeat since the beginning. ourselves, We can't restore ourselves back to God. Sin has, has broken our relationship with him. It's broken our relationship with one another. It's broken our relationship with the world around us. And we are unable to mend that relationship. We are unable to be restored back. And like so much of the, the prophets who proclaim this impending judgment against God's people, in this passage, there isn't an arc of hope. There's not like, but chapter 7 ends and it's just, it's just bad. It's just it's just all bad. It's, it's, it's hopeless. We, we can't seem to love God with our whole heart for any, all of our ancestors, all of those who, who committed to walk with God and who are unable to do that, all, all of the ones who walk in a wayward way. It's all short-lived love. It has no hope apart from one. And, and we think it's about more religion, and we think that it's about more giving, and we think it's about a more devoted, quiet time in the morning, or we think that it's about more serving, or more praying, or more, or more, or more, but what we find in our hopeless wandering along with all that, that have gone before us, all the way back to our father Adam, 
what we find is, is there was one, and it's not you. But what we see is, is this in the third point. There is a pattern-breaking love. The status of Israel as, as God's impending judgment takes shape in the form of Assyria coming down from the north and, and sacking the wayward people of God. The status of Israel is, is hopeless. There is no hope. The bloodline of Adam, all of us. Our status is hopeless. Fickle love, if any at all. Wayward, having earned the judgment of God by the blood of Adam flowing through our veins, having received sin by the fall, having contributed to the fall through our own personal, real rebellion and sin against God and his creation. Now, that would be real bad if I just prayed and said, well, have a good week. But if we read on in Romans, we see the beauty of the better Adam, Jesus. I'm reading now the, the CSB, which makes this a little more digestible. It, it goes like this. But the gift is not like the trespass. It's not like the sin. For if by, this is what I want you to see, the contrast between Adam and Jesus. For if by one man's trespass many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes to the grace of the one man Jesus overflowed to many. And the gift, it's not like the one man's sin because from one man's sin came the judgment resulting in being condemned but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in our justification that, that we are called just before God. If by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Again, we're thinking trajectories, one that leads to death, the other that leads to life. So then, as the one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is justification that leads to life for everyone. For justice through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also through the one man's obedience, the many will the trespass. That is, we now know how bad we really are. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Man, that's rich and it's thick and it's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the Bible. It points back to this pattern where we just fail God on repeat. And it points us to this greater Adam, new blood flowing through our, vein, our, our veins. Here's what all that means. Here's what it means to be a Christian or what the Bible says to be in Christ. Here's what it means to walk with God. And, and maybe you've never like thought of 
boiling it down, what does it mean? It, it means you're free. It means you're free. Like free, 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 free. Not like TurboTax with loopholes and hidden fees and caveats. But you're completely free. Free to what? Free to receive the love of God and free to love him with your whole heart. Not, not, not for a moment, but for all time. Not by obligation or duty, but from a joyful heart. Not because you're faithful, but because he's faithful. Not because you love perfectly, but because his love is perfect. Not because you have victory over death and rebellion, but because he has victory over death and rebellion and hell and the judgment through his resurrection, not because you are righteous, but because he is righteous. And through him, by confessing our sin and trusting his grace, we are his. Free to receive his love. Free to love him with everything that we have. So I want to tie up two analogies to kind of bring them there's this, this part where Jesus says, and still other seed landed on fertile ground and it produced fruit many times what was sown. That's, that's my prayer today. That, that the word of God would fall on hearts and minds that the spirit is doing work to till the, the hardened clay of our hearts that we might receive this word, that it might take up residence inside of us, that it might sprout as slow as it goes, and then it might produce fruit that brings glory to Jesus, joy to our lives, and allows us to, to join in the mission of this king and his kingdom. The second one is, is the light bulb that I made in college. <clears throat> A bright flare followed by smoke and darkness. Like, we must make an informed decision to be committed to follow Jesus. Like, that has to happen in here. And it has to happen in here. And it, and it gets to show up in the way that we live our lives. And that commitment should fuel our emotions, but the reason why we don't offer, uh, but by the reason we don't often plead for an immediate response and why I don't have the band come up here and crescendo with, with some lights and all that stuff can be fine, sure. But I'm not trying to trick your emotions and bypassing your brain to know what it means to turn away from your sin and to trust this Jesus. And maybe we get it wrong. That's not the point. The, the point is it's not about the show. Your life in Christ, it's, it's not about a crescendo and a light show. The, the, that's the theatrics of a, of a flash bulb that, that flash for a moment and then they burst. In contrast to that light bulb, there is this light bulb, maybe you've heard of it. It's the Centennial Light Bulb in Livermore, California. Anybody see that thing? Oh man, Google's gonna be like, what's going on? Everybody's just searching in Hamilton, Ohio. Gosh, it's crazy. Centennial light bulb has been glowing nearly nonstop since 1901. One single light bulb. Probably won't help take a great photo in, in a dark light like that flash bulb might. 
but it's faithful to do its job. And it glows, and, and, and it isn't bright, but it shines on. Our life in Christ is, is not about the peaks. It's, it's not about, you know, it's not about the, the show, but it's about sustaining the valleys, enjoying the paths, receiving the highs, receiving the lows. Our life in Christ is about the long game. The church is about the long game. This church it's about the long game. Doing the normal things that people who follow Jesus do and doing them together. Inviting our neighbors in to whatever that looks like. We sit under the word and we do that here and hopefully you do that in your home and you do that in community outside of this time. And we sit around the table and we share meals to be built up with others and it might not always look like a set dinner table, and it might not always look beautiful. It might be fast food at a soccer game or whatever it looks like, but we get to prioritize those things to be hospitable, to, to live life together with others, and we get to invite our neighbors into whatever that mess looks like. We have received a great love let us be a people who live a life of love for Christ's name, for his glory, for his honor, and by his grace for our joy all the days of our life. The band can come on up. Fleeting love for God brings ruin, but, but rooted love gives and it grows. So we get to respond several ways. You can sit right where you are. There's some reflection. We get to respond to this and say, what does it look like in here? And what does it look like in here? And what does it look like in here? And how is Jesus doing the work and inviting me into that? So there are some questions on there for you to, to consider. And, and we want you to pray. Sit right where you are. You can stand up. You can go to that prayer bench over there if you need some space. There's a red tree back there. My wife and I will be back there. We would love to pray with you. Right? Not just about anything here, but literally anything. If you want to figure out what it looks like to walk with Jesus, if you're suffering and you just want someone to, to petition the Lord next to you, with you, we, we want to do that. If you're in Christ, we get to remember and declare all of the work of this Jesus that we talked about this morning. And we do that by taking communion. It's super simple. It's an invitation that he has for us to take this in a worthy manner, acknowledging our own sin acknowledging his work to free us from that sin. And we get to do that together. We get to take of the cup and the cracker. We do that as, as representation of, of the blood that was spilled for us and his body that was broken so that we might have life. He invites us to share a meal with him. And if you're not in Christ, you've never committed to follow him or, or you don't know what it looks like, this meal isn't for you, but we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to walk with Jesus. Would you pray with me, God? Thank you for your grace, for your word, for the simplicity of the long game. Would you let us not beat ourselves up today? Would you let us not be numb to your word today? But would you let us just reflect and say, what does it look like to, to receive your love in a greater way? And what does it look like to live in light of that? to love you in a greater way? What does it look like to make and mature and multiply disciples by the love that we have for those around us? God, would you give us all the grace that we need that's sufficient for us today? 
And would you, would you continue to let us live our life with you all the days of our life and on into eternity by your grace. Amen.